Morning and welcome to Compassion Ministry Sunday at Capital Community Church. Uh, last month, I was asked if I would speak today on compassion. Well, um, what that means when I said yes, it means that compassion was moved up on the front burner of my life, which meant I needed to explore it myself. So in my case, that meant I needed to give money to any and all beggars I came across. I usually don't. My wife almost always does. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that's normal. And I know if I want to investigate something more deeply, I, I need to start treating it in an abnormal way. And so I did. I actually did not run across too many. The little bit that I did give did not help resolve anything because the measure of guilt that I would carry when I didn't give, even after I gave a couple quai, I did carry because what's a couple quai anyway? It's not really helpful. I probably should have given more. So, the nature of this month has been this exploration. Now, I am a verbal processor which means if I'm thinking of something, I need to talk about it. And since I spend most of my life at home with my wife, then she gets the recipient of all my conversations and all my questions. So for the past month, she has been having to listen to me talk and wonder about compassion. Um, today, she has compassion fatigue. So, um, just try not to push her today. It's my fault because she had to listen to all of this. What I would like to do today is, is to look at compassion. It, it, it's such a common term that I think I need to disrupt some of your thinking so that perhaps you can look at it in a fuller way than you did before. Now, as I'd mentioned before, um, I taught science in many years, and science uh, class has the lecture component, and then if you really want to do a good job, you need the lab component of whatever you're talking about. So if I'm going to be a good teacher, I'm going to give you the lecture component, and it will also be great to give you a lab component. Now, I could give you the lab component of, you know, go home and work this out on your own. But that is way out of control, and I know most of you probably won't do that. So I am incorporating the lab component of compassion in my talk today, because I am going to talk really, really long, and I'm going to give you a chance to exercise compassion on me. And this is a very difficult test for Phyllis back there. This one is for you, Phyllis, who reminded me how soon I need to stop my talk. So, let's look at compassion. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we come to you, and out of the, the, the many descriptive terms, out of the many adjectives, the one that you proudly proclaim is God the compassionate one. And Father, we would desire that we would grow, first of all, in our understanding 
of your compassion. And then, in our understanding of what does it mean to pass that on, may your spirit be free to work in our hearts today as he wills. For your namesake, Father, amen. So, we had an overview of Compassion Ministries here at this church. You heard about it, and hopefully afterwards you'll be able to go and get familiar, at least with a few more of these. But of course, we really have to start and ask the question, what is compassion then? Because uh, if compassion means so much, then it almost doesn't mean much at all. So our question about what is compassion? Well, when we would like to fine-tune an understanding of a word, it, it can be helpful to look at similar words. And so a similar word, often packaged with compassion, I would say is sympathy. So let's come up with a working definition of sympathy. Sympathy is a feeling that you care about and are sorry about someone's trouble, grief, and misfortune. And again, these are not complete, exhaustive definitions, just workable ones for now. Sympathy involves a feeling. You care about it, you notice it, and you feel badly about the misfortune, the sadness, the circumstances of someone else. In what way might compassion be different? Well, compassion certainly involves a feeling. Compassion, we could say, is a strong feeling of sympathy and sadness for those who suffer and wanting to do something about it. And I'd like, first of all, to suggest a, a workable term that you could, uh, or a question, and since I spent a month kind of struggling with compassion and how it fits into my life, then, um, and, and I'm not comfortable with it yet, then one of my goals today is to leave you uncomfortable. The compassion pebbles that are now in my shoe that make me uncomfortable, I hope to distribute enough that you have a couple of them. One of them would be, what about if I precisely try to always use the term compassion as accurate if it has a component that I want to do something about this sad situation. Kind of a discipline. I hear a story, I hear a scenario, oh, that makes me feel so sad, I have great sympathy. But if I'm going to say I have great compassion, then maybe I need to discipline myself to say I cannot say I have compassion until I start wrestling with and what can Craig do about that? And, and it's not even, I don't know what action that will turn into, but that's the question that I own. Compassion. And today I'd like to equip you with some questions for you to take home to use as tools to sharpen your own hearts and to sharpen your own compassion work, whatever that may be. Well, we had an overview of Compassion Ministries given to you this morning. Right now, I'd like to give an overview of compassion, not just the ministries, but of compassion. And since when we use the word compassion, we're saying it needs to involve acts of it. So the first section is an overview of the acts of compassion. 
And, and then I'm going to stop saying acts of, and that's just implied. When we speak of compassion, we are t speaking in terms of what acts are we talking about. I have a couple of questions that come from that. One question is who benefits? Who benefits? And again, I'm, I'm just giving you a couple of responses to the issue of compassion. I'm not thoroughly examining it at all. But one question is, who benefits from acts of compassion? And we might naturally say, well, whoever the act is for. But I, at the very least, would like to leave this as a hanging question. That before we get involved with acts of compassion, that we ask ourselves, now who is going to benefit from this? One uh, common situation is, I hear something and I respond and I want to do something for this person and yet that would not benefit them. It's not always beneficial to give people money when they need money for their sake, not always. I need to ask the question of then what is beneficial? And that is why it is so marvelous for you to go and, and get associated with an ongoing work of that because they wrestle with these questions and they can probably get you started off on the right foot regarding, you know what, why don't you do this, this is beneficial. But I also want to talk about another element of the question of uh, benefit and who benefits. I have here an oatmeal raisin cooking from the bread of life. Now, um, I bought this. I was thinking of comping it for them and saying, you know what, I'll give you a plug if you give me free cookies. I did not do that. So, it would have ruined my illustration. Um, I bought this cookie for 10 quai. Was that an act of compassion on my part? It's good, so it's, for me it is. Well, um, part of the profits they get go to fund their program, so they're getting a benefit from this, and they are, and that's fine, and that's marvelous, and that's a good ministry and a good business model if they charge enough of these that they actually make money that they continue. So go and buy, all right? The cinnamon rolls are probably gone, but the oatmeal raisin cookies are well worth it. I have another question about who benefits from this, though. Um, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives a warning. And in the warning, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Do not announce it on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is secret can reward you. And he goes on also and cautions them about praying in public so they will be seen. I think another relevant question, at least from my community of the church community in the United States in this season is, 
Being involved in a trip of compassion and acts of compassion that end up resulting with you posting 30 selfie shots of you and these poor little orphans because you're in Africa and you're helping these orphans and aren't they just cute and look at me. I'm here, I'm in Africa, and I'm helping these kids and they're just so darn cute, aren't they sweet? Now, motivation is huge here. And remember, I'm not giving you conclusions. I'm just trying to throw questions there, and I think this is a valid one. Who is benefiting from this when we go? We need to ask the right questions, and that involve, is what we do beneficial, and is what I'm doing too centered on benefit from me? Philippians 2, Paul gives us some guidelines here, beginning in uh, verse 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, he's saying... As you go about your work and your day, if you have tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. And then in verse 3, this is how we can show compassion and tenderness. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. You see, the question was poorly stated 20 or 30 years ago in the United States with the WWJD, what would Jesus do? That that was probably more damaging than anything else. The, the, The question we're invited to is not to do like Jesus, but to have the attitude of Jesus. Would Jesus go and help the orphans? Well, now there's a whole other area because... Actually, Jesus walked by many towns that were full of orphans, and he didn't do anything. But the key invitation for you and I is to share in the attitude of Jesus as we do whatever works we do. Colossians 3.12 continues, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, forgive one another, If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility. Did you notice that the complete outfit that you should dress in when you're going to work a work of compassion, the outfit includes the covering of humility? I'm coming to help. What can I do? Tell me what to do. I I will work quietly. I will work unnoticed. The clothing of humility dresses us up for the work of compassion. A couple questions just to leave you then, to reflect on. One is, what is the motivation to serve others? What is your motivation to serve others? The second is, and who gets to define what is needed in what I do? What attitude do I bring when I say, please use me in some way?
Well, that's an overview in our looking at the overview of compassion. We talked about who benefits. The second question I have, who should receive my compassion? I put the should up there in quotes because I think that helps maybe personalize the question. Who should receive compassion? Should everyone receive compassion? And the personalized one is, who tends to receive your compassion? Now we certainly, we, the, the, the practical question, well, here's another example in my last month. I ride the subway a lot, I sit very little, I stand a lot, and I transfer stations a lot and I like to get to where I'm going. When we're walking and transferring in the mobs, and the person in front of me is very slow, if they're older, all right, I have no problem. I won't even try to pass them because I don't want them to feel like they're slow. If there's a young child walking, I have no problem. I have Compassion, you know, the poor mom is feeling embarrassed because they're so sad. Don't worry, I do. But if it's a college student who's walking slow because they're playing a game, <laughs> I not only have no compassion, I have anger, bitterness, and I want them punished. <clears throat> okay, I told you. Once you start plowing ground in one area of compassion or lack thereof, you turn over all sorts of slimy things under rocks. And I only mention that my response to slow walking, game planing young people is not that I should be that way. I don't want to be that way. I'm just saying, yeah, that, that's Craig. And so when I speak of compassion, there's a question for me to say, wow, what is that? Does that have anything to do with what is going on? Generally speaking, I, I almost think practically, is not compassion earned? Compassion is earned by a catastrophic event. We have a tsunami, we have an earthquake, we have a famine. Compassion can be earned by um, uh, the wickedness of people, the evil of people, and, and their oppressing people, and compassion can be earned by disease and, and genetic malformations, and we look and we say, oh, and, and compassion comes out of us, and, and well it should. But I guess my question is, is there another realm in which we are invited to join with God in compassion? In Matthew 19, People brought Jesus' little children for him, to, for him to place their hands on him and pray, but the disciples rebuked them and said, Get away, children. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these. And when he placed his hands on them, he went from there. That little children just seemed to draw compassion out of us, at least if they're not our own. James chapter 1. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted in the world. Orphans and widows draw out compassion from us, and well, it should. 
But if we want to look at the fullness of compassion, we have to include another story, one of many. We'll pick the most obvious one. We have to look at the story of Jonah. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to the Ninevites. Now, the Ninevites were among the most wicked people of that time. And if you get a list of all the evil, sadistic things that people do to people today, they would probably trump them in every case. That was the Ninevites. Jonah was told to go and preach that they need to repent or they'll be judged. And Jonah said, I'm not going. Probably the first 20 times I heard that story growing up as a kid, the emphasis was Jonah was afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust God. Jonah was afraid those big bad people would hurt him. And the story of Jonah is get over your fears and obey God or else. A fish is waiting for you. That's not the story of Jonah. That's not why Jonah didn't go. Jonah did not go out of personal fear. Jonah went out of a personal stance that he was taking that was different than God's. Because after Jonah went and preached finally that the Ninevites believed God... And the king of Nineveh issued a proclamation. Do not let people or animal herds or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And then here's his question. Who knows? God may yet relent and have compassion on us. And so the king was walking around saying, it looks pretty hopeless here. But, who knows? Maybe Jonah's God has compassion. He didn't know. He was taking a risk. Well, they repented. And Jonah's God did have compassion. And that really got Jonah angry. And in chapter 4, we read Jonah's response. To this, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And Jonah became angry. He prayed to God... Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a kind and gracious, compassionate God. And I did not want them saved. I wanted them to suffer. God ordered Jonah to be involved in an act of compassion against wicked people who had deeply hurt Jonah and his people. God ordered compassionate acts. Interesting. Can you be ordered to be compassionate? And now we're back. Well, I don't know if I can be ordered to have a feeling, but remember, compassion involves acts of that. Something to think about in your own life it has to do with who defines and limits your compassion. Who defines your compassion? Is it the media who does? When you hear the story, when you see the picture, does that define your compassion? Where can you go to stimulate your compassion? What about those of us maybe who look at ourselves and say, you know what, I don't think I'm a very compassionate person. 
And we might say, well, you need to go to an orphanage, and, and, and well, you might be helpful there. But again, Jonah was not a very compassionate person, and his therapy and his calling and his treatment was for him to go to people for whom he felt no sympathy at all. And God said, Jonah, here you get to go and work on your compassion. Well, we've talked about an overview of compassion. With an overview, that's us standing here, and we're looking down at needs and ministries, and that's why we call it an overview of ministries, so you all can look at them and say, I, I may want to give to them, I may want to give compassion to them, I'm, I'm, and, and that's good. But I want to bring up another side, and that is the question of, what about the underview of compassion? The underview. Apologies to the translator, that is not an English word. The underview. And what I'm saying is, we're looking down saying, okay, I need to have compassion, I need to show it, where can I show it? The underview is when I'm standing here saying, I need compassion. I need compassion. And I'm looking up at compassion. I'm not in control. I'm in need of compassion. And of course, this is the whole point that Jonah missed, at least through the end of chapter 4. Don't know if he ever got it. Jonah's personal life was a story of utter rebellion on his part and great compassion on God's part to reach down to him when he didn't deserve it. But Jonah didn't make that connection. The question is, will we? Who benefits from the underview of compassion? Who receives our compassion? You know, we can only give what we have. There's a principle about that. I can only give the kind of love I have. I have Craig love. That's the love I can generate. And I can say, you know what, this person is really nice. You really should show them some act. Okay, okay, I'll try. And, but Craig's love is very limited. I may give you three or four tries, and then I'll bail on you and say, that's fine, forget you. I don't want to live that way. I want to live according to God's love, according to the love of Jesus Christ. Well, then how can I live that way? Only if I receive the love of Jesus Christ and it overflows out of me. Would you like to have God's compassion at heart? Then what you need to do, what you get to do, is to receive God's compassion in such a way that it then overflows out of you. We have a great model, of course, in David. And David was able to receive God's compassion at heart through his sin. In Psalm 51, we read David praying, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you are justified, God, in your verdict. You are justified in judging me. But please, God, have mercy on me according to your compassion. Do you need mercy and compassion of God? If you have a view that says, you know what, I worked hard, I maintain economic stability, I may contribute to this society, you know what, I'm going to help this person, but it, they better get on their feet pretty quickly because I sure did. That is not the compassion of God. 
And you can try to modify a person's attitude about that or their words, but what really need is a work in heart whereby they look at themselves and they say, were it not for God's compassion, he would have dumped me long ago. The fact that God still wants to use me in some way in this world, after my years of failure and inattentiveness to him, is that really true, God? Wow, I think it is. Romans 5, 6, and 8. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own word, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were powerless, he showed compassion to me. The reading this morning from Lamentations 3. I remember my afflictions and wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How excited are you over the fact that God's compassions are brand new every morning? It will be related to how much you think you need God's compassions. And if you felt you must have used them all up yesterday with your struggles and your shortcomings, and God must be ready to say, forget you, then when you read Lamentations 3 and you discover, do you mean it's brand new again, God? You really are full of compassion for me? That is seeing the underside of grace and receiving that grace. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. I like that he cares for you. In the competitive world of compassion currently, you really have to have a big problem if you're going to sell it well and get a lot of people to respond. Little problems, they don't get much. If that's your lifestyle of compassion, you only respond to big problems, then that's going to be your attitude to God as well. And it's like, well, look at all these other people, God. I mean, my life's going pretty simple. I have issues and struggles, but I'm not as bad as, I guess I'll try harder, God. But you see, God does not care. His compassions are not generated by the degree of your suffering and of your problems. His compassion is generated because of his love for you, because he cares for you. He's not more attracted by the magnitude of your problems. He's already attracted to you fully. The last category of compassion is to the extent of compassion. How far can compassion go as we look at our lives? To us, in us, and through us. Well, God's compassion, as we read, to me, came to me while I was a sinner and powerless, and he loved me, and he forgave me, he adopted me into his family, and now I am not an orphan, I am not an unloved rebel, I am a member of God's family on my worst day and my best day. That's God's, the extent of God's compassion to me. Another example of the extent of God's compassion is going to be looking in the future. And in Revelation, 
chapter 21, we are looking at the extent of the compassion of God, which includes in time to come and forevermore thereafter. This is the extent of God's compassion. And John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, but there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell there. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no pain. The old order of things is no longer. It has passed away. That's the extent of God's compassion. We get to live in the assurance of that hope. But for right now, today, in God's compassion, we know what it can do inside. We know what it's going to do ultimately. But Matthew chapter 9, God gives us, we are told, his, how his compassion now doesn't just work in me. It gets to work through me. You have been given a great invitation today. You get to, should you choose to, participate in the lives of some people in Beijing and make a difference in their life. You, you get that. You can examine that. You can look at that. You can choose to do that. What, what, a, what a good opportunity. But Jesus has left us with something even bigger than these specific acts of compassion that we can have. And in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you feel like a sheep without a shepherd? Do you feel like you're wandering? Do you feel you've lost your way? Do you feel you've been left behind? Do you feel what used to be so close with the shepherd and who knows where he's at right now? People in this world, whether they are exhibiting great physical need that elicits emotion or whether they are very, very wealthy and very, very rude and very, very arrogant, Jesus calls them both the same. They're sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering, looking in all the wrong places for what they really need. And then comes the invitation, the ultimate invitation that he gives us. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. The ultimate exhibition of the compassion heart of God that we get to participate in is as we are channels of his compassionate message. There is a savior. There is an answer. There is a shepherd. There is forgiveness. There is healing. There is purpose available to you. God's compassion to us, in us, and God's compassion through us. May some of these questions be used to stimulate your own thinking, to rejoicing about what has happened within you, or as to how you get to continue and grow in being a part of God's compassion extending through all the world to all peoples. Let us pray. Father, 
you are the compassionate God. The, the words we speak that we understand from your scripture, we would desire that your spirit work in our hearts with these things. Give us questions, make us uncomfortable where we need to. Reset our vision to you. May we come to you every morning believing that your mercy, your love, your forgiveness, your compassion is new. And may we take in enough of that that we have something to overflow on those around us, whether we think they deserve it or not. May all this be for your glory too, Lord. Amen.